Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the fourth chapter of St. John with an emphasis on these words. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, amen. Many of you here this morning have likely heard of or have probably even seen an episode on TV of a certain show called Undercover Boss. The premise of this show is simple. You take the CEO or the president of some major corporation and you disguise him or her as a wage worker and you place them on the ground floor of their own company. While they're in disguise, they get a first-hand experience of what daily life is like for their employees. And perhaps they even hear how they really feel about working for them. The experiences which they receive during this time are often eye-opening for them as they see for themselves the working conditions as well as the struggles of the people who they rely on to grow and flourish their business. At the end of the episode is always my favorite part. It's the big reveal. It's the time where the boss reveals who they are to their workers, and then, in front of the camera, they make pledges to take action based on their experiences. Usually, these actions involve some kind of changes to company policy or employee benefits to help them better succeed and even thrive in their work. That's the great thing about dealing directly with the person at the top, isn't it? Their word is what goes. They can make things happen. Change occurs when they give the go-ahead. There are times where we all have wondered what we would say to the person on top if given the chance. What would you say to the president or the CEO of your business? How about your congressman, your governor, or even the president of the United States? If you had their ear for a moment, what would you want them to know? What changes would you like them to make? I bet if pressed, you all could give a laundry list of items that you would like to see changed, things that you would like to say. But friends, have you ever given consideration to those things that you would not say? Those things that you would hate anyone around you, much less the quote-unquote important people, to know? You might feel comfortable, for instance, asking for a raise. You might feel less comfortable offering up that that money is sorely needed in order to cover your massive credit card debt. You may be okay with sitting down at a coffee shop or a restaurant to hash out all the ails of society, but you might be decidedly less comfortable with an elected official ever setting foot inside your house. What with the mess and the screaming kids and the mess? For these reasons, most of us will we leave the idea of coming face to face with the large and in charge purely in the realm of speculative fantasy. However, think for a moment 
what you might do if one day the largest and the most in charge came face to face with you. Well, this was the case of the Samaritan woman at the well who we were introduced to in our gospel reading from the fourth chapter of St. John. It must have seemed to her at the morning like a painfully ordinary day. This woman was, after all, an outcast among outcasts. After five divorces, the social stigma surrounding this woman was such that she eschewed the social gatherings which often took place in the morning around the well at the cool of the day, and instead, she waited until the sun was at its highest. She waited until that uncomfortable, scorching hour when all decent folk were at home taking their noontime rest. It was at this time where this Samaritan woman went out to the well to draw water for her household. As she came to the well this particular day, to her surprise, she saw a stranger. Right away, his clothing and his accent gave him away. This was no Samaritan like her, but a Jew. Stealing herself for a potentially awkward encounter, she goes to draw water, minding her own business, keeping her head down, when suddenly the stranger speaks. Give me a drink. And astonished, the woman replies, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. How odd it must have been for her that anyone, much less this foreign traveler, would ever give her the time of day. But this encounter would only get more peculiar for the woman as the stranger responds, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, well, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, wait a minute. The gift of God Living water, oh, she knew all right who she was talking to. The Samaritans were not so far removed from their ancestral brethren that they didn't know a rabbi when one opened his mouth and started talking. So now intrigued, the woman at the well decides to press him a little. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. What could this foreign stranger presume to offer that was greater than the very well of Jacob? This was the site where their forefather met his wives. This was the place from which the 12 tribes of God's chosen people, Israel, would spring. What has this mysterious teacher to offer that is as grand as all that? This water, well, this water has sated the thirst of generation upon generation of God-fearing people. 
Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Ah, so that's it then. She connected the dots. He's not just a teacher, but he's a prophet. Like Moses at the rock of Rephidim, or maybe like Elijah with the widow of Zarephath, fortune had it that this prophet was coming to her on this hot, scorching day under the blazing sun to quench her thirst for good. Eagerly now, the woman accepts, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or that I will not have to come here to this wretched place in scorn and in shame to draw water ever again. She was almost there. She recognized the gift. But the truth of who exactly was speaking to her was still lost on her. So now it became Jesus' turn to press her a little bit. He said, Go and call your husband and tell him to come here. Well, the woman answered him, But I have no husband. Jesus said, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And just like that, there it was the dirty laundry, the secret sin the shame that she did not want anyone to know without condemning or condoning, Jesus put it there right before her. Cornered now, the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, a Jew, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Who am I? a sinner, to even speak to one such as you. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people, yes, even such people as you, to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now at these words, something began to stir in the Samaritan woman. This prophet spoke of promises greater than water from any old ordinary well. He spoke of a reconciliation between Jews and Samaritans. He spoke of a new place of worship greater even than Mount Zion or Mount Gerizim. Rituals of preparation giving way to worship, not just in spirit, not just looking ahead towards things to come, but worship in truth, worship in the flesh, worship in the here and now, the gifts of God present for all the people of God. Could this stranger at the well really be the one 
who would come to bring the Father's gifts to the Samaritans? Could this man really be? I know that Messiah is coming, she said, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And here, at last, comes the crescendo of the story. The big reveal. The sudden understanding that this stranger was no stranger at all, but the Christ. This man who knew her sin and still offered her pardon and peace in the very water of life, this man was none other than God himself in flesh and blood like hers. In the Greek, Jesus uses a phrase that some of you may be familiar with from Bible study, ego eimi. This was Jesus' signal in his famous I am statements that God is doing something for his people and now he uses it to reveal himself to this woman. It's as though he said to her, lady, you've been talking to God this whole time. Friends, at this news, the woman forgets the water from the well. She runs out into the village square to call all the people, anyone who would come to hear her, to see what she was now seeing. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? And as other Samaritans came and they saw with their own eyes and they heard Jesus speak, they too began to believe. They said, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That, dear friends, is the advantage of speaking with someone at the very top. Their word has the power to make things happen. Their voice carries the authority to work real change. When God speaks, things happen. The voice of Jesus spoke faith into the heart of the Samaritan woman at the well that day, and her voice, in turn, brought others to hear him so that they, too, would believe. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when you were brought to the baptismal waters, Christ knew your sin. Christ saw your mess, your meager, wretched estate, and he spoke his word of pardon and peace to you. Those waters, combined with his word, have become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. Because of that living water, you too have been given the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit has instilled in you that which brought such joy and such zeal to that Samaritan woman. For it is by these waters that you were made God's own child. You have the ear of the one at the very top. For he has promised for the sake of Christ crucified to hear your prayer. In you... He works change as you daily remember your baptism so that you need no more hide from him in guilt and shame, but boldly come to him as his very own, for he has made you his very own. 
Therefore, I urge you, hear his voice of comfort as he comes to you in word and in sacrament. You who were a foreigner and a stranger, an outcast among outcasts, for you, poor sinners, he shed his blood on the cross, and to you he comes now this day bearing his gifts. What's more, because of those living waters, he promises that on the last day he will come again to you, not under cover, no longer under the veil of word and sacrament, but like the Samaritan woman at the well, face to face. That day faith will give way to sight and you will live forever with him. Hear him today who gives you such living water, him who calls you to Calvary's holy mountain to worship him in spirit and in truth, even Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.